0: this series, we've said that if we could get just 1% better at following Jesus every day, it would have a huge impact on our lives. we said that small, consistent improvements can have a huge impact given enough time. We've said that meaningful and lasting change starts with our identity and must first come as a result of a changed heart. From there, we said that developing a system of stacking new godly habits on top of existing habits will position us for greater success because stacking habits minimizes the friction that comes when we start new things. Now, not only can we develop new godly habits, but we can also break the bad habits that are derailing us as well. The secret to breaking bad habits is making them invisible, unattractive, hard, and unsatisfying. Breaking these bad habits is important Because when we fail to break with the bad habits in our lives, we are sacrificing a better future and we're sabotaging our ability to make disciples who look and act like Jesus. Remember what Paul said? He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We can't really say that to those we're discipling if we allow bad habits to go unaddressed in our lives. Today, I'd like to wrap up this series by looking at three godly habits that every follower of Jesus should strive to develop in their lives. Throughout this series, we've already talked about the importance of becoming the kind of people who love God's Word and the desire to spend more time with Him in prayer. Reading the Bible and praying are critical habits that need to be developed as we follow Jesus, and the habits we're going to discuss today will elevate your prayer and study of God's Word like never before. Zig Ziglar famously said, there's no elevator to success. You have to take the stairs. That's exactly what the habits of meditation, fasting, and resting will do. Lead us into spiritual success. The Holy Spirit uses these habits to transform us, draw us closer to the heart of God, and also refine our character. So let's start with meditation. Meditation is closely tied both to prayer and reading God's Word. But it's also very unique. Unlike prayer, meditation is not primarily about telling God what's on our mind. Instead, meditation is about understanding and taking in what's on God's mind. Biblical meditation involves reading God's Word in a way that penetrates the heart as well as the mind. Biblical meditation shouldn't be confused with a kind of meditation that is practiced in many Eastern religions. The goal of Eastern meditation is to empty one's mind so that one can receive truth and peace from within, but obviously that can be heavily subjective. You know, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, etc. That's not at all what we're talking about when we speak of biblical meditation. Biblical meditation focuses on truth that has been revealed through God's Word. In fact, Meditating on God's Word is one of the major themes echoed throughout the Psalms. Psalm 119, for example, says, Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. I reach out for your commands, which I love that I may meditate on your decrees. Oh, how I love your law! I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all of my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul encourages the Philippian church saying, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Meditating on God's Word is so transformative because God's Word has the power to reshape our thinking and refocus the way we view the world. Writing to the believers in Rome, Paul said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To the Colossian believers, Paul added, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Meditating on God's Word can radically transform our lives. However, for this habit of meditation to be effective, Jesus followers need to begin consuming more and more of God's Word and less and less useless junk. Recent studies conducted by a Stanford University research team have revealed that what we watch has a direct effect on our imaginations, learning patterns, and our behaviors. An October 2017 article in Psychology Today states, a human is an organism. The surroundings and conditions a person lives in and operates in is uh, his or her environment. Organisms can never be healthier than their environment or more efficient than their suitability to that habitat. The point is, If we are continually oversaturating our brains with negativity that festers in places like Facebook and Twitter and the nightly news, or constantly comparing ourselves to picturesque models that we see on Instagram or in Hollywood movies, we're only going to find ourselves exhausted and defeated. If we find ourselves focusing on that kind of stuff as much or more than we are meditating on God's Word, we can't expect to experience transformation. So, setting some bad habits aside is key for this godly habit of meditation to take hold. When we are ready to launch into this habit of meditation, I'd suggest you find a quiet place. Isaac meditated in a field, and King David meditated in his bed. Keep in mind, God spoke to these men not because they were special, but because they were willing to listen. Our time of meditation should be quiet, and free from distractions. Once you're there, focus on things of value. David focused on God's Word, like we saw in Psalm 63, 6. God's work and God's words. The nature of God, the works of God, and the words of God are revealed in the Scriptures. And so, the Bible should be the lens through which our meditation is run. As we meditate on God's Word, we should continually be asking ourselves questions like, What's the truth that I need to know from this passage? How does this passage affect my beliefs and convictions? Does this passage reveal something I should stop or start doing? At the seminary at Finkenwald, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his students were expected to meditate on a passage of Scripture for 30 minutes every single day. And he, Bonhoeffer, recommended that they spend an entire week on a single text so that they wouldn't be tempted to pass over one superficially. Bonhoeffer described meditation like this He said, Just as you don't analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of Scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is meditation. So, the first godly habit we should consider incorporating into our lives is the habit of biblical meditation. The second godly habit that we should consider incorporating into our walk with Jesus is the habit of fasting. In the same way that meditation is intimately tied to studying God's Word, fasting is intimately tied to prayer. Fasting is the practice of abstaining from something good, like food, so we can concentrate on our spiritual lives and find satisfaction in God. Old Testament prophets like Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel fasted routinely. The habit of fasting was observed throughout the early church and was recorded in the book of Acts. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, we're told that before Jesus' public ministry began, he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Ezra chapter 8, verse 21 hints at one of the primary purposes of fasting, and that is to cultivate a spirit of humility as we bring our concerns to God. Fasting fixes God at the center of our lives and moves our hearts to beat in sync with his. Biblical fasting also functions as a way that contrite sinners can recognize the seriousness of our sins while showing a repentant heart. We see this response from the Ninevites in Jonah chapter 3 verse 5. Interestingly, in 1 Samuel chapter 31 and 2 Samuel chapter 1, we even see fasting as an appropriate response to grief, sorrow, heartache, and loss. In some instances, biblical fasts were partial, and in other cases, they were total, meaning no food or water at all. King David fasted for a day as he mourned the loss of a close friend in 2 Samuel chapter 3. After Jesus confronted Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Paul fasted for three days and was then baptized and began to follow Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, verse 2, we're told that while Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, he fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. The truth is, there are many good reasons for God's people to fast, and there's no set timetable for how long a fast should last. The idea is, when we find ourselves feeling far from God, concerned about the future, worried about the health of someone we care about, in need of discernment, or just feeling the pull of temptation and sin, fasting draws us back into alignment with God's heart. After the election, I was pretty frustrated about the way things had transpired. Not necessarily about who won and who lost. What bothered me was the lack of confidence that I had that everything had been done on the up and up. Like many of you, I was confused and I just felt helpless. So a day or two after the election, I decided that instead of returning to social media to criticize anybody or just complain, I was going to fast for a while and let the hunger pain serve as reminders to take all of my helplessness To the Lord in prayer, and remember that Jesus is in control regardless of how things play out politically. Throughout that whole mess, I ended up fasting on three different occasions for different lengths of time. I don't share this to brag or boast, but to simply pass along what I learned during this time, which is this When we come up against things that are too big for us to handle, fasting helps us remember to trust God with the things we can't control. By giving up something we can control. If you have never fasted before, it's a habit that I'd highly recommend. It would be wise to start slow, maybe even for just a single meal, and build up over time. If you have a health issue that would keep you from fasting from food, you might consider fasting from something else. TV, social media, or whatever hobby you might have. Remember, the purpose of fasting is to humble ourselves before God and take our cares and concerns to Him. So our fasts should be done when we have time to pray and meditate on God's Word. The third and final habit we're going to look at today is that of resting or Sabbathing. Genesis tells us that after God spent the first six days of recorded history creating, He set the seventh aside to rest. By the time of Moses, resting had become a command from God to His people. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 begins, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now, we can't forget that in context, the people who first received this command had spent their entire lives as slaves. They had no perceived value outside of what they could produce for the empire and the pharaohs. You see, in Egypt, Pharaoh was considered a god. And a slave's identity was rooted only in what they could do to keep Pharaoh at the top of the pyramid, so to speak. If the work stopped, who'd feed Pharaoh his grapes? Who'd gather the straw to make bricks? Who'd use the bricks to make buildings? Who'd fill the buildings with Pharaoh's food and treasure? So in Egypt, there was no rest. However, when God rescued Israel from their oppression, he said, I will make you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians." What God shows us through Sabbath rest is that He didn't need His people to work for Him so that He could maintain His position as God like Pharaoh did. We are no longer defined by what we can do, and our value isn't found in what we are able to produce. Instead, our value is rooted In the one to whom we belong. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 13, God instructed Moses to tell the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. At its core, the Sabbath is a gift. It reminds us that it's God who works to make us holy. He is the one who's really responsible for producing real holiness in us. Our best efforts will never get us there. This weekly period of rest gives us the opportunity to disconnect from the six hectic, demanding, anxiety-laced days and remember that we belong to God. Our value doesn't come from what we can do, but rather from whom we belong. And on top of that, we can trust God to meet our needs. God isn't like our pharaohs. In Christ, We are dearly loved children, not disposable slaves. These three godly habits, meditation, fasting, and resting, are ways by which we can draw closer to Jesus. They function as a means of breaking out of superficial faith and beginning to experience genuine transformation from the inside out. Leo Tolstoy once observed, Everybody thinks of changing humanity, and nobody thinks of changing himself. Jesus' followers should be the exception to this sad rule. In his book, The Road to Character, David Brooks notes the differences between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. He writes, Resume virtues are the ones you list on your resume, the skills that you bring to the job market and that contribute to external success. The eulogy virtues are deeper. They're the virtues that get talked about at your funeral, the ones that exist at the core of your being. Whether you are kind, brave, honest, or faithful. What kind of relationships you formed. So, what kind of person do you want to be? What do you want said about you at your funeral? When all is said and done, how do you want to be remembered? Do you have bad habits in your life that are making that unlikely? Are there some godly habits that you need to begin incorporating in your life in order to become that kind of person? The followers of Jesus can get 1% better every single day at following Him by including habits like meditation, fasting, and resting into their lives. When we are intentionally living the way that Jesus did and putting His glory on display in our lives, make no mistake, the Holy Spirit will begin to change humanity through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Give us the wisdom to take these godly habits and incorporate them into our lives. Father, thank you for doing the hard work of making us holy. We recognize that there's nothing that we can do to become holy, but it was your sacrifice, your Son, who went to the cross, who died for our sins, that that makes us holy. So, Father, help us to live in a way that reflects the the sacrifice of Jesus and, and puts it on display in our lives. We love you and pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.